Welcome to Precept to Practice, CE Impact's podcast created specifically for preceptors of pharmacy learners. I'm really excited to bring you this next conversation. We recently worked with Dr. LaCoya Johnson to create a journal club style course examining a recent study that identified bias in pharmacy students and the impact of that bias on how they handled patient cases. The results were really interesting, um, and I'll share a link to that course in the show notes of this episode, but it certainly highlighted an opportunity for preceptors to be tuned in to ways that they can support and mentor students through what is likely bias that they don't even perceive within themselves. Dr. Johnson agreed to continue the conversation with me here. She's the author of How RxAcism Manifests Inside the Small World of Pharmacy, um, where she shares some personal experiences and her journey in navigating those experiences. She's a speaker, educator, and a champion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And her personal mission is to create opportunities for transformational change in leadership through the lens of grace. Let's listen in. Well, hi, LaCoya. Thanks so much for being with, here with me today. I really appreciate you taking time out of what I know has been a super busy schedule for you in these recent weeks. Yes. Thank you so much, Kathy. I appreciate you know spending time with you and talking about such topics as we're going to talk about today. I think it's much needed and time well spent. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you uh, put together a course for us just lately on bias and how that manifests in experiential learners. And I just wanted to continue the conversation here with our podcast listeners. So if you could start by just talking a little bit about what implicit bias is, let's just sort of lay the groundwork, um, and how that is different from explicit bias. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I think about implicit bias, I think about the beliefs and thoughts that are already operating in the background of our head, they're already running in the background of our mind, and we don't even know that it exists. And that's really where the implicit bias looks like. And as opposed to explicit bias, so when we talk about explicit bias, this is that outward we know that it exists. We've seen it ourselves. So when we talk about maybe look at discrimination and racism, the outward appearance of, say, probably like, you know, 50 years ago, you walk into somewhere and it had a white sign, or that whites only or colors only, like that is explicit bias. Like it's out there in your face, we can see it. The implicit bias, though, is the fact that someone can walk into a space and though it does not have a white sign or a color sign over the door, based upon how people are treated, the language that they use, the cultural environment, the feeling makes it such that it has a white sign and maybe a color sign over the door, right? And so it's really looking at the fact that implicitly or, you know, really all of us have some type of biases that are already running in the background of our head. And it doesn't necessarily have to, I talked about race there. It doesn't have to necessarily be race. It could be other things that we just have come to some of our own conclusions of who people are based upon different dimensions of diversity. And that's where implicit bias kind of shows up. I didn't realize how much I had taken on implicit bias, even in my own daily life until One day I'm walking into a store and I wanted to return some things that I had purchased and they were in the bag. And I walk into the store and COVID had just started. So we had someone there cleaning the carts and giving you the carts. And I looked at the line 
and it was like a mile long because people were starting to stand like six feet you know you know apart <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was like man I don't want to stand in that line and I asked the lady standing there I said hey can you hold this bag for me and I was like I'm gonna go and exchange some things but can you hold the bag and I'll go look around and she tells me she was like well she's like you can just take the bag with you and I looked at her for a second and I was like wait what do you mean I could take the bag with me? <laughs> and it was in that moment that I thought about what I was thinking about, because we have to think about what we're thinking about. That's, that's where the implicit bias shows up. We have to think about, because we're not conscious of it. So in that moment, I had to say to myself, wait, why can't I walk around the store with this bag with merchandise in it? And I realized there, Kathy, that I internalized how other people see me walking around the store with the bag with merchandise in it, right? Right. And the implicit bias in there shows up when Black people walk into a store and they're immediately looked at, they're followed, you know, Mm -hmm. things of that nature that happen on a regular basis. And because of that, I had internalized that myself. And I wasn't giving, I was limiting myself based upon the biases that I see and have experienced, right? And so that's where that implicit bias shows mm-hmm. up where we're not even conscious of it. Right, right. Like you've internalized a whole different set of rules, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And those rules then are confirmed by the way I'm treated when I walk into a store. Right, right. And, so, and, and but you, but, but then me as a clerk, if I'm a clerk, I may not even realize that I've internalized those implicit biases because I'm just trained to look at certain people a certain way as being suspicious. Yeah, that is a great and super meaningful example. So yeah, thanks for sharing that experience. I'm sorry. That that's, oh, you don't have to apologize, yeah, Kathy. Yeah. We're here to grow together. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, how bias might manifest in pharmacy learners, um, particularly in the experiential setting. You know, we're talking to an audience of preceptors. And so how, what, what might they, how might they see that manifesting in students and, and how students are working with patients particularly? So our implicit biases fundamentally usually manifest themselves in the in our language and our behavior. And I will I want to start with language first because words are powerful. Words really matter. And there are some colloquialisms that we in healthcare have just taken on and maybe in some aspects we have taken it on as maybe a joke but it's not really a joke, right? And I'll, and one of those examples is the term frequent flyer. We all know in healthcare what that terminology means, but it doesn't honor the fact that there are some people who don't have access to a primary care physician. And therefore, they are literally using the emergency room as their primary care physician mm-hmm. outside of circumstances of their own. And so when you hear a learner using terminology or language that is not appropriate, that's where those implicit biases are showing up. It's really hard. It is a very hard subject to talk about what preceptors can do and what learners can do because we're actually all learning at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to empower people to to look at this as when we say preceptor and learner, there creates this hierarchy. And we have a lot of hierarchies in pharmacy, too many hierarchies. 
because we're all supposedly on the same team trying to, <laughs> you know, serve our patients the best we can, right? And so our preceptors have to create the space for learners to give them feedback as well when their implicit biases are showing up. So I'll talk on the other side of things. Me as a learner, when I was a student, I was told by a preceptor, well, I can't give you all fives because I wouldn't give myself five. Wow. <laughs> what do I say to that? Right. Right. And right. in that case, I'm not internalizing it as though, you know, this has anything to do with the fact that I'm black and you're white. This here is now a hierarchy thing. This now here is you're supposed to be mentoring me. And because you don't see yourself as equivalent as a five, you can't possibly see me there. Mm -hmm. And what does that do for my own learning and my own growth for you to internalize yourself, your insecurities, and now you've placed that on me? So, so there's a lot of, um, it's, it's, it's very complicated. There's a lot of intersectionality in there when we talk about implicit bias because of so many different elements. And it really comes down to people really un thinking about what I'm about to say, what am I trying to communicate? What is my intent and what is the potential impact, right? And so that's the language. The behavior is maybe if I don't feel comfortable seeing this patient, can you give it to, can you give this patient to someone else? Mm -hmm. Why don't you feel comfortable with that patient, right? And we get it on both sides. Um, I have not had this experience, but there are other colleagues who look like me who have had the experience where the patient asks for someone else. Yeah, yeah. And that's the implicit bias that I don't believe, I don't trust, I don't believe that you have the credentials to serve me. So therefore, I'm asking for someone else, right? And right. so, you know, it's the language and the behavior. It's a both and. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's another whole podcast episode and course, but, you know, also on the flip side where, where, you know, pharmacy students may demonstrate some implicit bias in working with patients, patients also demonstrate that in, in reacting right. to students. Right. And so yes. yeah, to your point, lots of complicated intersectionality, <laughs> hierarchy, all of those things going on for sure. So much, so yeah. much. But what we can do really when it comes down to what are the practical things we can do in the moment, having the courage to have the conversation. Right. And we all have to do our own self-work to get to that point of having the conversation. I am not in any way, shape or form believing that we are all ready to have the conversations that need to be had. Yeah. But at the same time, because of my experience, I can no longer sit back and wait for everyone to get on the same page and everyone to get on the same train to have the conversation. The conversations have to be had. And those who refuse to acknowledge that there needs to be a change, they're just going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. where we are at this point. Yeah. What tips can you offer, um, like and maybe some strategies, and, and you alluded to this maybe a little bit earlier, but strategies that preceptors can use to, when they see bias in students, and we'll just, let's narrow the conversation to pharmacy learners potentially demonstrating mm -hmm. bias toward, toward a patient implicitly you know, without, with, yeah. you know, without recognizing that that's what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So how, how yeah. can we, how can preceptors sort of be looking for that and 
and how mm-hmm. can they start the conversation with this with the student and with the student I yes. think I know s- some of the things you're going to say but I probably yeah. don't know all the things you're going to say so <laughs> I I think it starts with the simple question help me understand when you acknowledge something or you're seeing something really we can't necessarily say that it's biased right we don't know what it is right we don't <laughs> and you know, there are, there are, uh, when, I, when I talk about the example, a student doesn't feel comfortable serving a particular patient, it's more of a, well, help me understand what's going on. Why don't you feel comfortable serving this patient? It could be that, the, that that student was triggered by something that happened in the past. And if that's the case, then we have to serve them for, for that reason, right? Right. But if, the, but if, it, if, if it's more and or the student is using inappropriate language or referring to patients in, in derogatory ways, things of that nature, then it is either help me understand or what did you mean by when you said so on and so forth? Because I like to give people the opportunity to address it and reflect on, on their own behavior and or language. And then, and then it is corrective, like that coaching like, so if the, if the preceptor knows that, hey, for instance, we'll say frequent flyer, um, I understand where that terminology came, comes from, and you may have heard that used by another health professional here, but in our culture, in our environment here, we are practicing more inclusive language, and we don't call people frequent flyers. Let me help you understand why some people come to the emergency room and use the emergency room as their primary care physician. And then it's providing that student with some resources. So for, for that particular example, it would be have the student read up about the social determinants of health and, um, and, and do some more digger, some deeper dives into why this patient may possibly show up where they are. Right. Um, I think another thing is that we see a lot, especially from pharmacists and being in a residency type of situation for sure, or where you're going to have interactions with patients, a lot of times we focus on change of lifestyle. We always want to, I know when I was going to pharmacy school, we're always focused on changing lifestyle, making great lifestyle choices before medication. Mm-hmm. And so it is almost the assumption of a pharmacist that if someone is on that medication, if it's not just because of their body mechanics, it's because of their lifestyle choices. Right. And to a certain extent, that is very true. But we also have to understand the culture that that, pa- that, that patient is in, the environment that patient is in, the access that the patient has, right? And mm-hmm. so preceptors have to do their own due diligence of understanding those social determinants of health. When we look at that social line on the soap note, that is very heavy. Yeah. And what does that mean? That is, this is just resonates with me because I I had an experience. It's been several years ago now. And I will say I um, had an experience with a student in my office who said, and we were, we were talking about planning their rotations. And he said, I don't, I don't want to do a diabetes rotation. And I'm like, well, why, why is that? I mean, really? It seems like that's something, you know, would be super relevant and practical across whatever it is you do. And he's, well, they just, they have it because of the, the choices they make. It's like, it's, I mean, basically it was their own fault. And I remember being, I was literally speechless and had a, you know, really a 
a reaction to to that knowing knowing that I needed to address it, but honestly didn't necessarily have all the language at that point to address it because this was a number of years ago. Um, like, so I knew I'm like, this is wrong. I should be, I should be coaching this student in, in this, mm -hmm. but not, but not very well equipped to speak the language. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you calling out, you know, sort of our responsibility to make sure we have the language and that we can, and we're educating ourselves and talking to be able to talk about these things in a way that is meaningful for, yeah. for students and, you know, to, you know, yeah. to help them be the best practitioners they can be too. So that's, um, yeah. yeah, that's a great, that's a, that's a really good example, I think. So obviously <laughs> still bothers me because it's been several years <laughs> since that interaction yes. happened, but. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I will say, Kathy, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I think for me, what would bother me um, in that interaction is not having the tools not knowing that something needs to be said, but not knowing what to say. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. And where are the resources for me to go to find that information? And I have to say that in the last two years, the resources abound. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. They are, they are there. However, if you need to, where do you go quickly to find this information? Right. And, and that's where I want to be that resource for pharmacists preceptors, pharmacy students, you know, really the pharmacy industry, I aim to be that resource to help you find that information, to help you craft what does that language look like. I had a student that said this, LaCoya, I don't know how to deal with that. That is where I see my role and why I truly believe that I have been prepared for a time such as this. I went through a horrible, horrible situation. But out of that pain now, I found my purpose and this is my passion. I don't really truly believe that this is what I was created for. Like pharmacy is supposed to be my platform. I wasn't born to be a pharmacist. Pharmacy is my platform to serve others. Yeah. Well, we're going to make sure we put um, a connection to you in the show notes, along with a number of other courses that we've developed in this space and do what we can to get those resources out there for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. And you, that led directly into my last question for you, which was really about resources. So I think we can, we can cover those bases for sure. Yeah, any other, yeah. um, any other tips and strategies for, for preceptors who want to be diligent in this way? I would say for preceptors, number one, all of us can only control the person that we see in the mirror. That's really where it all starts. It has to start there fundamentally. So we all have to grapple with the fact that we don't know everything. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect. As pharmacists, we aim for perfection all the time, but we're not perfect. We are human beings. We are fallible. We're going to make mistakes. But when you took that oath, you took an oath that you were going to relieve human suffering. And you have, do we have patients that are suffering? You have coworkers that are suffering. And you're going to have students that are going to be walking into your space and they have been suffering themselves for a long time, right? And so to really relieve human suffering means that you need to do your own work, do your own self-work, start thinking about what you're thinking about. And in order for you to do that, you've got to put yourself sometime in some situations where you're going to be triggered so that you can actually understand how, is my, how are my biases manifesting? And that means putting yourself in some situations where you may be the only person that looks like you. Mm -hmm. 
where you're in a culture that is completely different from you. You can actually go places where everyone looks like you, but it's a completely different culture, right? right? So you have to intentionally put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable so that you can start understanding how you are starting to think and how that may be manifesting itself. Right. So be, be okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. So a lot of reflection and, you know, as teachers and mentors, we have to really come to the table with, you know, a certain amount of vulnerability and yeah, to your point, willingness to be uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that vulnerability is to say, I think it's, it's okay to say, I don't have all the answers or I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to look that up. That's what I was told in school. Preceptors (laughs) have to be able to say that just like students have to be able to say that because students are going to come now. They're getting, they've been getting this education and they get it. They understand diversity. They understand inclusion. I have a 16 year old. I mean, the stuff that comes out of her mouth now that is normal is very, you know, it's so, it's leaps and bounds from where I was at 16, right? Right, And right. so that you're going to get some students, they get it. They're, they may say some stuff that you don't understand, or maybe you have a, you don't, you haven't even started to get there and you haven't started to learn it. Let's learn together. Yeah, yeah. Do you have yeah. some resources that you could share with me? It's a shared learning. We're all growing together. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, that's great advice. Great advice. All right. Well, thank you so much. These conversations, I just always appreciate and feel a little, I don't know, I don't want to say wiser, but certainly more enlightened, (laughs) more prepared. I hope you feel more empowered. (laughs) I'm more empowered. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you so much, LaCoy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Every time I talk to LaCoya, I walk away with a new perspective, and I'm just always grateful for her approach to these conversations, always through a lens of let's grow together. We've added information on how to contact her in the show notes, along with several other courses specific for preceptors on this and related topics, and I really hope you'll take some time to check those out. Additionally, we have a full library of resources for you on our website, so please visit us at ceimpact.com and click the Preceptor tab to learn more. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month on Preceptive Practice.